Good morning, Cornerstone. Welcome to our online service. And today we begin a new series, which we are calling Life in Tension. Our society is becoming increasingly polarized. There's always people have opinions and they have thoughts about everything. But un unlike other times, the temperature regarding debate and disagreement in both the private and the public sector is more hostile, I think, than it's ever been before, especially in my lifetime. Whether it's regarding the government restrictions on COVID-19 or whether it's the debate over, over sexuality or trans issues or whether or not it's true that Everton is the people's club of Merseyside, our opinions are polarizing and the conversations around them very quickly move to boiling point more often than not. Sadly, what we are seeing in our culture is that opposing opinions cannot be held in tension without creating further conflict in everyday life anymore. See, this culture change, this, this shift is affecting the way we think and the way we engage with life, even as Christians. And because it has become the norm to live and exist in our own echo chambers, dismissing the opinions and the thoughts and the convictions of others, the concept of holding things in tension is becoming an alien concept to us. See, the cultural norm now is to pick a side and to camp out there for all to see. Or to push it further, the cultural norm is to pick the most acceptable side to avoid getting involved in any conflict situation. See folks, the challenge for us as Christians is that we can inadvertently find ourselves not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ well because of this social shift. So rather than lovingly disagreeing with each other, we draw lines and we camp out on opinions because we can't handle another Christian's point of view or perspective, whether that's in life or whether in the church. Some of us will really struggle with the fact that our friends who are part of the same church voted conservative in the last general election. And some of us won't be able to cope with the fact that people are interpreting COVID-19 guidelines different to the way we are. See, folks, the other challenge and issue is that because we are being conditioned to not hold opinions in tension, we find ourselves struggling to even hold biblical truths in tension. And rather than accepting and sitting in the tension, we want to come down on one side and dismiss the other truth. See, what we need to do as Christians is to accept that living the Christian life will requ require us to recognize that it is full of things that bring tension. And it is full of things that are, hold, that, that are difficult for us to hold together. But I want us to realize this, folks, that a failure to do this will actually cause us to miss the blessing of growth that holding these truths in tension will bring. So our hope is that as we walk through some of these theological tensions that we have to hold together in order for us to live and to grow as Christians, our hope is that we will not miss out on the blessing of growth as we hold them together. My hope is that we don't allow the cultural shift in dealing with tension to become the lens by which we deal with these theological tensions that we live with as believers. 
and there are many, so we can't go through them all, but here are the ones that we're going to be going through. We're going to be looking at and spending time thinking about the tension of God being a God who has wrath, but also is merciful. We're going to look at the tension that Jesus Christ is a fully God, fully divine, and he is also fully man. We're going to walk through the tension of what it means for us who have been forgiven by God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ are called saints by him, but we still sin. We're going to walk through the tension of what it means to be saved by faith, but also deal with the issue in the Bible when it says that a faith without works is dead. I'm going to spend some time looking at the tension of the fact that we are not of this world, the Bible says. We are sojourners. We are passing through. We are part of the kingdom of God, but we still experience brokenness. We still experience seeing suffering. So what does the Bible mean? That the kingdom of God is here now, but not in all its fullness. Now this week, we're going to be looking at the issue and the tension of sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, and responsibility, human responsibility. We're going to look at that God is sovereign over all things, but as humans, we are still held responsible for our actions. Now, we can approach this tension by looking at it from different ways. And actually, we could spend the whole six or seven weeks just looking at this one specific tension that we hold to as Christians. Now, the different ways that we could look at it is this. Does God choose us to be believers or do we choose God? Is God sovereign in our salvation? That was one, one way we, we, could, we could sit. The other is, when we pray to God, does prayer actually move the hand of God? Does prayer accomplish the things that we pray for? Does it change anything? But the answer that I want us to answer today and think through today is this. The question is this. Is God in control of my life or am I? Who is it that charts the course of my life? Who is responsible for how things turn out? Now, folks, one thing that I want us to remember today and as we walk through, through uh, this sermon series, that we are looking at life in tension. It's tension, and tension is uncomfortable. Tension is something that we, we don't want. In fact, we want a, a release from that tension. So as we go through each of these weeks, and particularly today as we walk through this, it's going to be, for some of us, if not all of us, a bit of a head wrecker. So for me personally, as I've been reading this, thinking about this, studying for this, preparing for this, I, my head is like the, the emoji that you can get where your head is exploding uh, because it's a complete head wrecker. Now, I don't want that to be an excuse for us to dismiss these things. I want us to step into them and, and try to hold these tensions together. But the reality is this, it's tension. It's tension. So we're not going to come out of this with a complete release complete clarity. The Bible's clear. We only see in part now, not till Jesus re returns, will we see fully. But there is something about holding these tensions now that bring growth and bring blessing. See, with this particular tension, the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, the tension comes because we don't think that these things can hold together. 
And our tendency is to pick a side and to camp out there. But picking a side in this specific one will bring detrimental effects because the Bible tells us that both are true, that God is sovereign and that as humans, we are responsible for the decisions that we make, the choices we make and the behavior. So we have to hold them in tension. See, picking sovereignty and camping out there without responsibility will lead to several different things. It will lead to passivity. God's got this. God's got it. But passivity and, and negativity and a laziness in how we live, God's got it. He's sovereign over all things. I don't need to do anything. It brings passivity. To camp out in sovereignty without responsibility brings oblique fatalism, an attitude of resignation or, or carelessness. I'm just resigning to the fact that God is, is over all this and I, there's nothing that I can do. It can bring heartlessness. We can become heartless people if we camp out in, the, in sovereignty without human responsibility. When people are suffering, we can be too quick to be quoting Romans 8 to them, that God works together all things for good for those who are in his purpose, so buckle up and sort yourself out. Folks, that is true. But we're also told to weep with those who weep. And picking sovereignty without responsibility leads to frustration with God. This is all your fault. This is all down to you. But some people would pick responsibility without, respons uh, without sovereignty. Now, to camp out in the area of responsibility without sovereignty will lead to a God complex. I am the captain of my soul. I am in control of my destiny. It can lead to control issues. That you become a control freak, wanting to control every situation because you believe that the responsibility is down to you completely. Folks, it can lead to fear, anxiety, and worry. Have I made the right decision? I remember a film in the 1990s where it was called Sliding Doors. And I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow was in the film. And she was running down these steps in the subway, running to try and catch the train. And as she arrives at the train, she steps through the doors and the doors slide behind her. And then the film shows us the, the way her life pans out. It then flips to showing us how her life would pan out if she hadn't have made it to that train in time. See, if we camp out in responsibility without sovereignty, it leads to fear, anxiety, and worry. It leads to a sliding doors syndrome. Did I make the right decision there? Did I go through the right door? If I'd have turned left at this crossroads rather than right, the pattern of my life may have been very different. And folks, camping out in responsibility without sovereignty causes us to be frustrated with ourselves. This is all my fault. If I'd have done this, I could have prevented these things. And yes, that is true. But to camp out in responsibility without sovereignty brings great frustration. So two things as we think about this, that we need to consider is this. When we say sovereignty, what do we mean? And what does human freedom mean? Where does human freedom come into the conversation, especially in the tension, and especially if the tension is to do with human responsibility? 
See, the word sovereignty is very rarely mentioned in the newer English translations of the Bible. But the issue of sovereignty is connected to the lordship of God. In the Bible, you will see that God is referred to by the Hebrew word Yahweh, which literally means he makes he who makes that which has been made, or he brings into existence whatever exists. Now, the word Yahweh is translated in the English as Lord, which means sovereign, king, leader, Lord. And as you read through the Bible, you see that his lordship is experienced and known through his authority. He must be obeyed. Through his presence, that you cannot escape his justice and you cannot escape his love. And it's expressed through control. Everything that happens, happens according to his plan and his intervention. So God is sovereign. He's sovereign in that he exercises effectual, universal, and loving control over all things, and nothing is out of his control. Now, the Bible shows us that he is in control effectually in that he does all that he pleases. Psalm 115 verse 3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He's effectual in that he does all that he pleases. He is effectual in that he has a plan and he has a purpose. Isaiah 14 verse 24 says this, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. His control is effectual in that it will succeed. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but, sit, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, the, the sovereignty of God is effectual in that he does what he pleases. He has a plan and a purpose. He will succeed. But it is also universal in that he controls the natural world. Psalm 135 verse 6 and 7 says this, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He is universal in that he controls human history. Acts 17 verse 26 says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He, has universe, he is universal in that he controls individual human life. Psalm 139 tells us this, and we know this, many of us know this, for you form me, you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. See, his control is universal in individual human life. It is universal in that he controls our free decisions the decisions that we make. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
It is universal in that he even controls our sin. Now, folks, this is tension. It's tension. Let's, let's, let's remember this, that what the Bible shares is a tension for us, and we have to hold this. It says in Isaiah 63, verse 17, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. And it is universal in that he controls salvation. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 10, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So folks, if this is true, what does that mean in terms of human freedom? In terms of the choices people make and whether or not it is fair that they are held responsible for their choices. See, the fact is that God is sovereign in that he exercises effectual, universal, and loving control over all things, is compatible with human freedom, in that we are free to do whatever we want, although God is sovereign over our desires. Now, this is where it's going to be head-wrecking for us. See, the question is this. When we say freedom... What do we mean? See, when we say freedom, we are desiring a freedom that has no causation. A freedom that means I make a choice without any influence, any cause that may guide my choice. Because to allow anything to guide, govern, or even influence or force doesn't make my choice free. That's what we think when we think about these things of being free and making free decisions. See, this is known as libertarianism which means that, he, that you have the capacity to do the opposite of everything you choose to do, and there is no sense caused or constrained by anything. Because to have any kind of constraint, influence, or force removes freedom. Now, however, in ordinary life, when we experience freedom and the freedom to make choices, we do this in the compatibilistic sense because there is causation in our choices it is compatible with other factors folks when we make choices we make choices based on experience based on history based on desire and the bible says also god's sovereignty so god causes our choices and humans do whatever they want to do in the compatible sense See, Adam, whilst in the garden, was free to make the choice, do I obey God or do I not obey God? But God was so sovereign over it all. So if this is true, why are humans held responsible for their choices in life? Why is that? Because, folks, the issue of morality and the issue of moral responsibility 
is not determined by us. It is determined by the sovereign creator who effectually, universally, and lovingly determines and controls it to be that way. He is the moral arbiter. arbiter. See, Romans 9, Paul helps us with this. He says this, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? God is sovereign and we are free to make choices that are compatible with his sovereignty. So folks, where do we see this in the Bible? Probably the most famous story in the Bible where we see this being worked out is the story of Joseph towards the back end of the book of Genesis. Joseph was one of the younger sons uh, of Jacob who, who had many, many sons and he was a favorite of Jacob. Now, his elder sons became jealous of the way that Jacob loved Joseph in different ways. You know, many of you may have seen uh, the film or been to the theater to, to hear about Joseph and his amazing colored coat. Well, Jacob gave Joseph an amazing colored coat and it brought jealousy amongst his brothers. Now, being about 17 years of age, Joseph also did not have much self-awareness and would gloat in front of his brothers, would show off with gifts that he had, would make it very clear that he was their father's favorite. So his brothers conspired and initially they wanted to kill him. They made the decision not to kill him, but rather they sold him into slavery. They went back to their father and told their father that Joseph had been killed. So Jacob for many years lived with the grief of thinking that his son had been killed. See, Joseph was taken into Egypt. He was sold into slavery and he was bought by an official from Egypt called Potiphar. Now, Joseph worked really, really hard, even though he was experiencing the injustice of suffering uh, at that time of being sold by his own brothers into slavery. He worked hard. He respected his leader and he grew in promotion in the house of Potiphar. Now Potiphar's wife took a shine to Joseph to the point where she attempted to, to woo Joseph and attempted to engage with him in an inappropriate way. But Joseph being a man of integrity and a man of honor said, no, one, you are married and two, you are also married to my master. Potiphar's wife did not like the fact that she'd been declined. So, so complained to Potiphar and changed the story and said that Joseph had tried it on with her. Potiphar was devastated and Joseph was sent to prison. He was sent to prison for something that he had not done. Whilst in prison, whilst walking through this, Joseph continued to trust in God despite the injustice of the way that his life had turned out. Whilst in prison, Joseph met two men that worked for the Pharaoh. Now, Joseph had been given a gift by God to be able to interpret dreams. And these men had had dreams and Joseph had interpreted their dreams and, and, and what he interpreted, what he said about the dreams came true. Now, the butler of Pharaoh was taken back to be and work for Pharaoh. And he said to Joseph, I will tell Pharaoh about what you have done. 
Now years passed and the butler clearly forgot until Pharaoh had a dream that nobody could interpret. And then the butler was reminded about Joseph who was in prison. Joseph was called for, he ended up speaking with Pharaoh, he interpreted the dreams, and as a result of that interpretation, many people's lives in Egypt and beyond were saved. Joseph was declared as the prime minister, the second in command in the whole of Egypt. Now, it was during a time of famine of which the people in Egypt were coping with because of Joseph's interpretation of the dream and his leadership and his intervention, that famine struck the whole of Egypt and the surrounding areas. Now, years had passed, and Jacob said to his sons, you need to go to Egypt to speak to the Egyptians to see if you can get any food because we have no food. So Jacob sends his sons, the very sons that sold Joseph into slavery. And who did the sons meet with? Joseph. They didn't have a clue that it was Joseph, but Joseph straight away realized who they were. Now, the story goes, there's a bit and back and two, and he plays with them a little bit and, and engages with them, but then he eventually tells them who he is, and he is reunited with his family. Now, what's really interesting is when, the jo when Joseph's brothers came to realize that Jacob had died some time later without Joseph meeting, they were completely worried about that. And this is what the Bible says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers, brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see that? That Joseph had experienced the injustice of suffering through his life. Joseph had made decisions along the road. And God all the time, even through the evil acts of other people, was working out all of that for his purpose, for his glory, and for the good of his people. And as a result, Joseph sees that and says, what you meant, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Human responsibility, human choice, with a sovereign God in complete control. Now, folks, what does that mean for us? As we as Christian people in 2020 try and hold these things in Tension. Well, let's think about suffering very briefly. See, Joseph suffered, but every bit of it had a redemptive purpose. A redemptive purpose. God was in complete control. Folks, what we've got to remember is this. 
that every single thing that comes into the life, into your life as a Christian, has first passed through the hands of a good and loving Father. It is not something that is out of His control. It is first passed through His loving hands. And that we have a God who is sovereign and who is profoundly aware of what you are experiencing. He's not on vacation. He's not on holiday. He's not, he's not away from all this. He is not distant. And because of Jesus' suffering, God can actually relate to us from a human perspective. And folks, we see in the story of Joseph, and we know this today, and some of you I know, can even stand up and say exactly the same as Joseph. God is working all things together for good. So that means that our suffering is not meaningless, but has meaning. So what is my response to that? What is the human response to the sovereignty of God in the midst of this suffering? The response is this, as Christians, we can rest in Him and we can trust in Him because He is working all things together, even though we may not see it in the detail of our situation, that's what the Bible says. Folks, we are to rest and trust in Him, because what is the alternative? The alternative is that we are the sovereign, and we know where that gets us. The other alternative is that Satan is the sovereign, and that there is another being who is engaging in the world outside of the control of God. That is a frightening place to be. Another alternative is that no one is sovereign. Therefore, everything that we experience has no meaning whatsoever. Or we have a God who is sovereign, who exercises effectual, universal, and loving control over his creation. Folks, it's like a tapestry. You know, a tapestry, a beautiful, a beautiful picture that has been created through, with, with wool and thread and, and the way these talented people do these things. If you look at the back of the, the, the tapestry, you see all the ends of the wool and the thread and the material, and it looks an absolute mess. But if you turn the tapestry around, what you see is the fuller picture of what is being created. See, God occasionally shows us bits of that tapestry and we get a, a, an inkling of what he's doing. We see a wonder of how he is moving his hand, even in the midst of, of our life situations that bring suffering and bring mess and bring difficulty. But what the Bible also tells us that one day when Jesus returns, what he will do is show us the whole tapestry and he will show us exactly what he was doing and while he was doing it and we will be filled with joy and, and he will receive all the glory as we see how his hand has been in control of all these different things. Folks, our response is that we can rest in him and we can trust in him. What, are, what does this mean for me? Well, we can think about the sovereignty of God and how we live in, in the fact that God has me where He wants me. He has me in the location He wants me to be. He has me doing the vocation He wants me to do. God has placed me. He has placed you where you are. That is not out of His control. So therefore, we need to stop waiting for the best case scenario and faithfully live where He has us faithfully serve where he has us. If that's the church or in the midst of the family or the job that we have or the community that we find ourselves in. And our response to where he, the sovereignty of where he has us is that we are to respond by not wishing for the life that God hasn't given us. 
We are to recognize that he has a purpose for where you are and he has a purpose for you in the midst of the people that he has put you in the midst of. And this gives you reason to make good decisions. See, what does this mean for me in terms of my walk with Jesus, my, my life with him? See, we know from Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 is that before the foundation of the world, God had set his affections on you. He'd chosen you and he saves you by his grace, not by anything that we do. It's all God. It's his sovereign saving work. But our responsibility is for our growth as Christians. And we can't blame other people or, or God himself for our immaturity. Paul says when he writes to the church in Philippi, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Folks, we can't blame God and we can't blame other people. We have a responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That is our response. That is our choice in the midst of his sovereignty. What does this mean for us when it comes to mission? See, God has sovereignly rescued us from sin, death, and hell. And he has placed us in a city amongst people. He has given us a circle of influence and he has told us to tell others about him. So therefore... Our response is that we are to open our mouths. We are to pray big prayers because that is his will. That is his purpose, to bring people to himself. And we are to pray to align our hearts with God's sovereignty, his will, and we are to tell other people about Jesus. That is our choice. Do we do that or don't we? But we pray for our hearts to be in line with God so that we do. Folks, God is sovereign, and we are responsible as Christians. We have responsibility to live and make decisions knowing that God is sovereign. See, we need to know and trust in God's sovereignty because it is that that helps us make good choices that align with His will. We need to know and we need to trust this sovereignty because it helps us to respond to trials and difficulties in ways that are different to everybody else. It helps us to respond to those things in ways that display lives of joy because they are rooted in the hope that, we, that what we are going through does not lack meaning because God is sovereign over it all. Now, folks, let's... Let's try and apply this to something that we are all going through now. COVID-19. I want to tell you this. COVID-19 has not taken God by surprise. He's not up there in heaven going, oh my word, what is this? What is this disease that nobody can cure? What is this pandemic? I need to do something. I this is how we're going to figure out. No, it's not caught him by surprise. God is over this. And through this, he is fulfilling his purpose for his glory and for our good. Now, folks, that is a tension. It is a tension. But it's true, according to God's word. 
So for each of us in the reality of what we are experiencing here in Liverpool, in Merseyside, how are we to respond to the sovereignty of God in this situation? Well, number one, we are to trust in his sovereignty. What we are experiencing does not lack meaning. The Bible tells us that God refines his people. The Bible tells us that we are to count it all joy when we go through trials. Folks, we have to trust that God is doing something. Mission is not on hold. Our lives are not on hold. God is doing something in and through his church for a purpose. What is that purpose? We're not sure outside of the fact that he wants us to be the manifold wisdom of who he is and to present him and his glory to the world. He, he wants us to tell other people about him and about his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to trust in his sovereignty. Folks, we need to consider our responses in this. We are to consider our responses to the news that comes from number 10. We are to consider our responses to discussions with friends and with family. We are to consider social media posts. Folks, we are to consider these things as people who are rooted in the sovereignty of God. Now, this doesn't mean, this does not mean that we can't be sad doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that, that we blow off and ignore the fact that we're struggling. No. But it does mean that our responses, comments, and behavior should be different, should flow from hope, trust, not fear and anxiety. That is our responsibility in the midst of God's sovereignty. And folks, we are to pray. We are to pray. We are to pray to the one who is sovereign. We are to pray to the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth. And we are to pray that his kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus told us to do. We are to pray to align our hearts with his will and his purpose. We are to pray that his kingdom breaks into this brokenness. Folks, we are to pray for our leaders. The Bible tells us that. It's a choice whether we do that or not, but it's our responsibility. We are to pray for the welfare of our city. We are to pray for the church, that we as the church will be the salt and the light of the earth at this moment in history. We are to pray for the lost. Folks, people are walking through this situation not seeing any meaning in this whatsoever and they are confused and they are hopeless and they are sad and they are broken. For some people, they may never leave their homes again. For others are so fearful that if they catch this, they're going to die. Folks, we have hope. Hope that is found in Jesus that gives so much more to this life than what we are experiencing now. We are to pray for the lost in the midst of this. We are to pray that we are able to live and we are in, 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 in the presence of those people living in such a way that gives a better story in the midst of this confusion. We are to pray for them. We are to pray for revival. Folks, if God is working out his purpose for his glory and for our good, what does that mean? That means that more people come to know him. If he is working out his purpose for the spreading of his kingdom, that means more people are going to come to know him. 
Let's pray for that revival. Let's pray that in times, humanly speaking, how are people going to know? How are people going to hear? Let's pray that people do know and people do hear. Yeah, our church buildings may be shut, but the church is still alive. So let us pray for revival. So folks, as a church, our responsibility to do that, we want to press into. We want to press into because that's what we need to do in the midst of this situation. And we need to press in because that is our responsibility as humans who live under the sovereignty of God. So this week, Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. in the morning, 7 p.m. in the evening, we are going to gather to pray. We're going to pray for this city We're going to pray for the church. We're going to pray for the lost. And we're going to pray that God will reveal to us what he is doing. You need to sign up for that. We can only have a limited amount of people because of the regulations. But you can jump on Zoom as well. Let us get together this week to pray. This is is not, folks, just something that we can pass off. This is something that we need to step into. So I want to encourage you as a human response in the midst of God's sovereignty to this real situation, let us get together and let us pray. That is our responsibility. It is our responsibility to move to the one who is sovereign over all things. Folks, sovereignty and responsibility. As Christians, we have to hold these things in tension, but we hold them in tension not passively, but actively, actively trusting and actively making choices and decisions in line with him, who he is and what he has promised. That's what we do. But in all of this, folks, I I want to remind you this. Let me remind you that even though we are responsible for our choices, even though we are responsible for our sin and we are responsible for our rejection of God, God sovereignly planned for his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, to stand in our place, and to become responsible for our sin and our rejection. He took what I deserve. He took what you deserve. And God planned it that way. Folks, I am responsible for my sin. But God in his sovereignty planned for his son to pay for that rather than me. That's love. That's mercy. That's grace. And that is the one who is sovereign over everything. And although I don't, and you don't totally understand and get this, it is a tension that we have to hold. It is that that brings me joy. It's that that brings me blessing. It's it's because I know that whatever happens to me or to anyone else or even in this world because I know that God is sovereign I know that what happens does not lack meaning I know that what happens does not lack purpose why? because it is a loving God who is sovereign over it all who is working out his effectual universal loving control for his glory and for our good and it is that that shapes my decisions it is that that shapes my choices does it shape yours let's pray
Father in heaven, we thank you that it is you that is in control of all things. And as your people, help us by your spirit to make choices that are aligned with your sovereignty, your purpose, and your will. Help us to hold these things that feel contradictory in tension, because in that tension, we grow and we receive joy and blessing. Father, we thank you so much that you've invited us into this story. You've invited us into this, your purposes, and we get to enjoy that and be part of that. Help us to live lives that reflect that amongst the people of this world who are struggling at this time. Father, we pray that this week as we gather as the church, whether in person or online, that we will pray fervently, coming to you who is sovereign, petitioning you, bringing our thoughts and our desires to you, whilst all the time praying that they are aligned with you, knowing that what you are doing is good, even though we don't understand it. Help us not to question you. Help us to trust you. Be with us this week as we seek to hold these truths in tension. For your glory, we pray these things. Amen.